This recording is brought to you by Whitworth University. To hear additional programs, please visit www.whitworth.edu backslash podcast. What a wonderful way to end our time together. Amen. I am just wanting to say a few things prior to preaching, uh, and they'll be brief. But first, I want to say out loud what I've been whispering to Mike Breen. Uh, bring in private. I have been so blessed by the morning sessions. You know, our God tends to do more than one thing at one time. I'm beginning to believe and see that. And uh, I uh, have people who respect me, follow me, and want to know more about what I'm doing. And I literally want to raise up uh, people who are clear about what it is to be a leader of reconciliation. Your words every morning have caused me to leave here with a strategy that I'm going to huddle my team around now and begin talking about how we actually duplicate this thing that God has invested in my life. So thank you so very much. Amen. I was in South Africa and I said to some folks, this is going to work out, my brother. Let me know, because if not, pass me a mic, another thing. Amen. I was in South Africa, and I said out loud on the stage at Lausanne, uh, a Lausanne gathering, I believe that the day of the single superstar is over. I really believe that. I think our looking for the next Billy Graham or the next whoever we thought we were waiting for, I think that day is gone, that ship has sailed, and I think it is about duplicating ourselves. And there's so many of us who don't know how to do that, and to have a strategy for how to make that happen is for me an invaluable resource. So I'm deeply, deeply grateful, and I mean that. I also know that a few of you have said, how can I stay in touch? And I also know that whenever we're on the mountaintop and then have to go back into the valley, and it's real, it's, it's what we got to do. <laughs> Life waits for us, and we got to come down out of the holy of holies and do that which is the normal stuff of life. And so for some of us, what I've learned is that we don't have enough dialogue partners to keep the conversation going. And we don't know where do we get other sources of information when what I read tends to be about the same thing as what I've been thinking. So if you're interested, and we're going to put up that slide about how to find me, all right? This is how you can find me on Twitter. I post stuff for real, it's really me. Uh, and if you feel like, so what is she thinking? And you don't even have to agree with me. You do have to be civil, amen. I do. <laughs> but Rev Doc Brenda is the Twitter, ha Twitter handle. Then I've got this page, it's called Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, and you can find it at Brenda, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, lowercase. It'll take you to a page, you just like it. I don't have to friend you, you just like it and you're in, all right? But you do have to be civil. Amen. Amen. And so I, I read every one of those comments, and snarky, nasty uh, gets deleted. And I delete you. <laughs> so you don't have to wonder if it was my secretary. It was me. And I would do it again. So last night, I went, no sister, no sister. Where is that block button? Because, <laughs> and I really do mean it. I'm funny, but I, you know I'm serious, right? Because what we do in anonymity on social media is, is, is the kind of stuff we would never say to each other face to face. And because of that, I, I believe that as a reconciler, what I'm trying to model both in person and online is how to engage in discourse of reconciliation where we don't beat each other to make our point. Amen? All right. And so if you brought a book today or this week while we were here and you want us to sign it, I believe I speak for both of us, if you want us to say a real nice thing to you, thanks. 
Okay, thanks. He said, if I get any more issues with it, to use this one. So we'll see how we're going, because right now I like this. All right, but if this gets worse, we're going to switch over. So uh, if you have a book, we're leaving for the airport pretty soon. But if you have a book and you want any of us to sign it, let us know, because I'm sure we'd be happy to do that for you. Now let's hear the word of God. Would you direct your attention to the screens as I read Esther chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is what the word of God says. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. My brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, as I open my mouth, would you please feed us from yours? We shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So speak, Lord, because your children are listening. Give us instruction for how we're to live this life when we're not here in this holy place, gathered together, firing up each other. Help us to know what we take from here that will help us to live this way when we get to our various places of ministry for the glory of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, let me tell you some things about Esther, this book. There have been many people who question whether or not this book should be in the Bible. And they question whether or not God is anywhere in here because God is not named in an overt way. And so there's debate about whether or not Esther should be in the canon of scripture. However, I believe it's this portion of scripture that I just read for you as I try to preach for my last time with you around the subject of intercessors for justice, intercessors for justice. Uh, I'm beginning to believe that this scripture really convinces me that God is the unseen presence that's woven throughout the entire narrative. I believe God is the unseen presence force that's behind all of this, and I believe God is present throughout this book. The fact that Esther calls for fasting and prayer, in my mind, is a clear indication that she and the Israelites are praying to the God of the Jews. You don't fast and pray, right? And so I think this notion of go fast and pray for me immediately is trying to suggest that they are giving supplication to a God that is higher than they are. I believe as Jews in exile, they know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe they know the story of the same God that delivered the children of Israel out of the hands of slavery in Egypt. Amen? When their backs are up against the wall and they are being faced with a Annihilation, no doubt they are calling back on the miraculous power of God who opened up the Red Sea and caused them to go through on dry land. She says, fast and pray for me. I can remember the church that I grew up in, and today, worship team, when you sang that song, man, whoever wrote it, that took me so far back. I was at the River Jordan singing with you, but I can hear my forebears, my mothers and fathers of the faith, who would say, God can make a way out of no way. That's why we pray, because we serve the God who can do the impossible. Well, Esther is scared to death. 
and she needs the God of the impossible to show up. She understands now what she has to do. She understands that this is indeed her moment of destiny. She knows that she has the potential to go the way of Vashti. So she says, if I perish, I perish. There are no guarantees, my brothers and sisters. There are no guarantees because we're sincere and we nice and we love God that bad things won't happen to good people. So important to say, because somehow we've been socialized into, I think, an understanding of God that good things are supposed to happen to us because we're just so nice. But I'm beginning to understand that there are people who suffer and it's not because they're bad folks. And it's not because they didn't have faith. And Esther understands this. It's risky business to follow God and walk by faith. I used to think that walking by faith looked gallant. I now believe that you are knocking your knees together and your teeth are chattering when you walk by faith. I don't think it's a pretty sight at all. I think you are doing all you can to hold your faculties together as you walk by faith. Amen. But before she does anything with her knees knocking, her heart beating fast, and her teeth chattering, she says, fast and pray and let's seek direction from God first amen that'll preach all by itself right you see where I'm going Esther I believe is a role model for us on how to deal with our heart for justice our heart for reconciliation our desire to see righteousness reign in the earth she's showing us how to speak truth to power She's showing us what we must do if we ever want to deal with the political and the social climate that we find ourselves in. She shows us how to advocate. She shows us how to be leaders in a world that's very frightening and confusing. She shows us how to confront the powers that be on behalf of those who hurt. Those that Jesus said we should be ultimately concerned for. Those who have been marginalized, those who are outside the gates, those who don't have a voice. We are to become the voice for the voiceless. And she's now about to do that. But what does she have to do now? She says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. She says, okay, I'll do it, but I have no idea what to do. I don't know how you go in and talk to a governor. I don't know how you talk to a politician. I don't know how you confront the king. I don't know how you talk to the head of the denomination. I don't, look, who am I? So Esther says, call all the Jews together and you, and, and you fast for me for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast and pray just as you do. You see, there is a ritualistic fasting and prayer in Esther that the people seem to be aware of. She doesn't have to give them instructions on how to fast and pray. She can just say, fast and pray, and everybody's like, check. We got it. It seems to be a common approach. They would have immediately understood what they were asked to do. So they start to say, we will indeed turn down our plates. We will not eat. We will not let our appetites, as we were hearing about on the Sermon of the Mount, our appetites won't drive us. Our ambition won't drive us. Our need for approval won't inform us. Instead, we will be directed by the voice of God. 
Now, there's a bit of mystery, my brothers and sisters, inherent in intercession. The scriptures remind us that God's ways are not our ways, amen? And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we don't know how God is going to speak to Esther. We don't know what God is going to say. We don't know if God has given Esther a strategy in prayer that would be unusual or subversive. But she comes out of that a prayer time of three days and she does something. She does go in uninvited and unauthorized, breaking the law, and she goes into the presence of the king she understands that the executor is at the ready to kill her instantly for breaking the law in such a public fashion and risking the humiliation of the king ah he already is a temperamental leader and so risking the the the, the uh, 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 humiliation and embarrassment of a king who needs to be respected is a scary thing to do now if I were Esther and I bust into the king's presence and took that big of a risk. I would walk in there with every clear demand I have. Oh, Lord, I would fall in and I would say, oh, king, they're going to kill all the people. I wouldn't have done this, Lord God, if this wasn't essential. There is going to be a plot. It's killing everybody. I'm telling you, I would have spilled the beans. <laughs> I would have let it go. He would have heard the whole thing right there. But instead of that, now, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Lord, have mercy. I would have had the edict in my hand. <laughs> Here's the proof. It's him. It's him. <laughs> Talking about a movie. It would have... <laughs> It would have been a movie to behold. But that's not what Esther did. Esther goes in, executor hand up in the air, sword ready to come down. And she says, would you like to come to dinner? <laughs> really? A dinner party, Esther? <laughs> that's, that's what you got? <laughs> I would be thinking, Esther, we don't have time for a dinner party. <laughs> this is a critical situation, Miha. We got to do this. It is time. But this is what I'm learning from this text. What we think we might need to do could be completely different from what God leads us to do. I feel like preaching. <laughs> so you see, there is trust involved when we pray. We have to trust that the God we serve is a God of justice. Wow, right? We've got to trust that even if God's ways are not our ways, that God's ways are best even when we don't understand it. Ah, it takes a lot of faith to lean into what you hear from God in prayer. So what are the implications for us, my brothers and sisters, as we come to our close in this convocation together? I would say I'm learning some things about prayer from Esther. Sometimes I think when we pray, God gives us subversive strategies that we may not have thought on on our own, in our own human sense of panic and urgency. My husband's a psychologist and he's taught me something. Uh, it, we learned it when we were arguing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did you know that the way the brain is designed to work is that our blood vessels constrict when we are frightened or upset? Yes, it's the reptilian part of us, the animal part of us, right? That's just trying to figure out two things, fright or flight. Should I fight you now and see who can win or should I like a gazelle get out of here? And you don't need a lot of rational thought for that. Mm -hmm. So when you get angry and tense and your blood vessels constrict, blood flow to the brain is limited. And so you don't think as clearly as you would if you were calm. Amen. And that's why we sound like second graders when we are arguing with each other. Your mother, your mother too. And you just feel like, really? <laughs> don't you got a PhD? That's the best you can do. <laughs> All the money we spent on education. And so have you ever stepped back from an argument and you thought, is this really us? Could we not do better? It's because in urgency and in panic and in stress, we don't think straight. That's why, and I've tried to be real careful about what I've said all week long because our political climate is divisive, but we've got to watch the culture of fear that is being cultivated in our culture right now because that they're going to get us and we got to hurry. That is constricting the blood vessels of our nation's thought process and we are not thinking clearly. So I mean, breathe. For God's sake, breathe. I know some people believe that yoga is not good, but I'm telling you, it has helped me a lot. Sometimes we just need to breathe and allow oxygen to get to our brain again before we go into the knee-jerk panic stuff the way I would have run into the presence of the king. Fear is not the way forward. I believe that in Jesus' name. So God might give us a strategy that may take several steps to completely unfold. Sometimes we are given a step-by-step -step plan and we get more clear as we go. The old folk in my church used to say, you'll understand it better by and by. So all she knows is dinner. <laughs> and maybe she even thought that she was leaving now, right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I'll make dinner. <laughs> Can you imagine? So prayer is not some mamby-pamby little practice. Prayer takes real courage to wait on God to lead us and guide us and us not take control of the situation for ourselves. I would not have wanted to be in that girl's shoes. So, all right, we're here for dinner. So, my brothers and sisters, I know for sure that the just shall live by faith. And faith is a scary thing that's one step at a time. It's a process of discernment and listening to what God is saying, and it requires trust and obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's just the truth. It's as simple as that. And so now I'm understanding that this, 
That kind of trust, we can't do it by ourselves. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough faith by myself. That's why I'm having this wonderful time with you because together we're strong. Man, we'll stand for justice, reconciliation, righteousness, and everything else. We'll change the world. Breen's preaching up here. Yeah, I'm going to make a huddle. Let's do it. Right? And then we're going to get home. And we won't have this, this courageous crowd that's cheering us on. And so prayer is important, and it must be done in the discernment of a community. Fast and pray for me. Call everybody together. I'm not just going to fast by myself. I could have. I'm not just going to pray about this all by myself in my own prayer closet. I need everybody. I need a community praying with me. This is what I think I hear. What do you hear God saying? Hallelujah. We don't hear God in a vacuum and we don't hear God by ourselves. Remember we talked about King Xerxes and the fact that he only listened to people who told him what he wanted to hear? Who are you listening to? Do you have enough diverse voices around you praying with you? So that when you ask the community, what do you hear God saying? You're not hearing the same people who say the same thing all the time. Ah, yes, Lord. Having others listen to God on our behalf is a critical process of really knowing how to speak truth to power. The, the day of the single superstar is over. And anything we do from this point forward, you need to roll with a crew. That's how they say in Chicago. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, you need to roll with a crew. Translation, have enough people around you. And then I'll say this, prayer requires patience. I can't imagine the energy it would take for me to keep my emotions in check, to wait a couple days for this dinner party to take place. I couldn't imagine but this is what I now know. We have to wait on God's timing. We have to wait for God to do it in God's way. When we pray, we affirm that justice and shalom begin with God and not with us. Amen. And that this is not something we can do in our own strength. That the justice we seek is the justice God wants. And God will do it. Amen. The Bible, <laughs> the Bible says that he doesn't do things the way we do. But God is not short concerning his promises. This is true. It may take a while, but I'm here to tell you, it will not happen just because we are passionate and sincere. This is not something we pull off in our own human intellect. As much as I value every ounce of education I've received, I thank God for the little church I was nurtured in that taught me how to pray. Not one of them went to seminary anywhere, but they would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. Hallelujah. And I would be with mother and them any day because they believed in the power of prayer. Because this is what they would say to me, little sister Brenda, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers and authorities in high places. They would say, I'm glad you got your education and I'm glad you go to college, but do know that some things are the battle of the Lord. And you need to understand that ultimately this thing that we're fighting against, this injustice, this hatred, this fear that we see taking rampant in our country, it's not just bad, it's evil. The Bible says, "Hi has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And where you see the spirit of fear, curse it. Amen. 
You see, that's what the church can uniquely do that other people can't do. Because we have a spiritual lens on the issues we face. And it's not just your opinion versus my opinion. Your political position versus my political position. This is all of that stuff and we'll do our best to make good decisions. But we also know a God who is above it all. Amen. And we get to call down strongholds in the name of Jesus. So that requires a real dependence on the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a dialogue, my brothers and sisters, and not a monologue. Amen. If we do serve the God of the resurrection, we're supposed to believe that God is alive and well and can talk. How about that? Alive people talk. Amen. Amen. So when's the last time he's been talking? What have you heard the God of glory saying? That's what we do in prayer. We talk to God, but we listen to God. And we hear what the Spirit wants to say to the church. We serve that God who wants to speak. And so I challenge you as we leave this place, listen and look and see what the Father is doing and listen for what the Spirit is saying. I love Jesus. He heals a man who's been sick for 38 years. His prayers were not complicated, and he didn't have to wrestle in prayer like I do. Oh, Lord, please, trying to get the right formula together for prayer. Should I say in the name of the Jesus, in the name of Father, Son, what should I say? Jesus says, take up your mat and walk, period. Up he goes. And then the, the, the religious rulers are angry about this effective prayer life that Jesus has. Because it happens on the wrong day. Go figure. Not supposed to be effective in prayer on the Sabbath. The man who got healed didn't even know it was Jesus. <laughs> Finally, he figures it out. He finds, oh, it was Jesus. Oh, it was Jesus. He healed me up. And then they get mad at him. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. I have a presupposition about my father. My father is always working, never takes a day off. Therefore, I too am working. This is John chapter 5, verse 17. And then in verse 19, he says, it's becoming a theme verse for my life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. May I take a minute and ask you, what, uh, what, what tense is the word sees, past, present, or future? So he didn't say, I only do what I saw God do before I incarnated and moved into the neighborhood. No, 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 no. It's not what I hope to see. It's not just vision. He said, do you know that right now, right here in this room, God is working. And I walk into every situation ah, with my eyes wide open and I'm looking to see. I didn't mean to heal this guy. I was minding my own business. I was going to the temple. He was there yesterday. I didn't see anything yesterday. But today, when I walked past that man I saw him standing up so I just said what I could see yeah. That's right. Woo! how about we do prayer like that I gotta go <laughs> so let me say this I believe my brothers and sisters that we serve the God of the resurrection I believe that we serve a God who is alive and not dead and so I pray that we will commit ourselves to walking in partnership with that God as we leave this place. And when we pray, 
I pray that we'll expect to connect with the vision and the purpose that is higher than ours that comes from our living God. It is in prayer that we get courage to be the leaders who embody God's heart for reconciliation and justice. That's where it comes from. We don't manufacture it. It's in prayer that we receive what Walter Brueggemann calls a prophetic vision, a prophetic imagination. So that's what happened to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You knew I was going. Let me tell you what happened to Dr. King, and I'm going to take my seat. Dr. King was as human as we are. He didn't start out trying to be a hero or a leader and for sure not a martyr. He was scared to death, just like Esther. One night, he was received a really bad phone call. So how about I read it, because he wrote it. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was dozing off in his bedroom around midnight when the phone rang. Listen, nigger, we've taken all we want from you, a caller hissed through the phone. Before next week, you'll be sorry. King hung up and walked to his kitchen to heat a pot of coffee. He had been receiving death threats for weeks. Ever since he had accepted a request to lead African-Americans during a bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. But King was starting to doubt his decision. As the threats poured in, his fears increased for his wife, Coretta, and their infant daughter, Yolanda. He now wondered how he could relinquish his role as a boycott leader without appearing to be a coward. Then something happened that King would talk about for years afterward. He bowed over his untouched cup of coffee and prayed aloud in desperation. King said he heard an inner voice that addressed him by name and encouraged him to stand for justice. That experience reminded King that he could not depend on the resources of his talents and intellectual training to make it in the struggle. He came to see more clearly that spirituality had to be real to him in a special way as he continued the pressures of the movement. After the kitchen table experience, King felt a special divine companionship or what he called cosmic companionship that, this, that thus sustained him. Fear left him and he was assured that if he continued to stand up for justice and righteousness, God would be with him. Not long after that, my brothers and my sisters, Dr. King gave his famous, I have a dream speech. And he said, I may not get there with you, but I know that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm here to declare to you as I close, I am confident with Paul of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said. Thank you, God.
God, you have given us this gracious gift, the gift of the table that calls all of us together in unity under the lordship of your son, Jesus Christ. May we be unifiers. May we take the bread and the cup and let them nourish us physically and spiritually so that we can be agents of your grace, love, peace, and unity in a broken world. God, let us be courageous prayers. Let us come to the throne of God in prayer with confidence that you are a God of faithfulness and covenant and truth. May we be patient to wait upon the Lord. May we be discerning and wise as we surround ourselves with truth-tellers, people who love us and can help us to find the will of God and to listen for what the Spirit is saying. God, you tell us to be still. To be still and to know that you are God, to find your still, quiet voice. May it be so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for our sending song. Please remain standing. And at this time, I'd like to invite Mike and Sally, if you would join me on the podium, please. Brenda, if you would as well. And Dale, come on up. <laughs> and Terry and Suzette, could I invite you to come up as well? Um, Jim and Gina, would you come up as well? I want to lay hands on these new friends of ours, and bless them. Larry and Robin, would you come up as well? Let us lay hands on Mike and Sally and Brenda. The reason I'm calling you up is because you're sitting in the front row. <laughs> First of all, we just simply want to thank you for the ministries you've provided to us this week. You've been so gracious with your time and your knowledge and your wisdom. You've been patient with us as well. Thank you so much for the gifts that you've given us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these dear new friends. We thank you for the amazing ways you have gifted them, for Mike and Sally, for their important ministries, um, the ways in which they mentor and disciple and bring others in. And God, we just pray a special blessing that you would, that you would just um, multiply their ministry in amazing ways. We count them as friends, friends in Christ. And God, we pray that you would continue to make connections between them and us, even as we are separated by distance. We pray for their marriage. We pray for their family. We pray for all those around them. We thank you for them. And God, we thank you for Brenda. We thank you for her prophetic word. God, you have granted her a spirit of grace and truth. Thank you for her ministry of reconciliation. May the words that we have heard from her resonate in our hearts for many, many days to come. By your Holy Spirit, give us wisdom to be agents for you in this world. So for these dear friends, we give you thanks. We also pray for Derek, Brenda's husband, and their beautiful family. For these dear new friends, God, we give you thanks. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Oh, and Dale, thank you. <laughs> How could I forget Dale Bruner? Dale, Dale and Kathy have been such a gift to this community for so many years. 
Thank you, God, for Dale's amazing teaching. He brings the gospel alive. Thank you for his good health, for Kathy's good health. May he come back for many, many years. So, God, we give you the thanks and praise, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And now receive this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.